Father, we're blessed to be here this morning celebrating the finished work of Jesus and your gift to us of your own Son to redeem us when we hated you. In Christ, you have become and displayed your justice and your freedom to justify the ungodly. So we thank you for that momentous gift. We pray that your spirit impresses upon us that this is no light thing. And though we swim in the waters after the cross, it is no light thing that he was dead and buried according to the scriptures, and was raised again on the third day, according to the scripture, for our justification and for our freedom. We thank you. Father, as we look at the ninth commandment this morning, and press upon us again that we are a people after the truth, about the truth, because we have been brought into the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Be with us this morning. Let our conversation be edifying to us and honoring to you and um, exalting Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we have... uh, been rocketing through the Ten Commandments, one a week, and this week we are looking at Exodus 20, verse 16, the Ninth Commandment. By way of review, (laughs) all the R's, one through, just the first tablet, Jenny, what are they? Do you know? Take a swallow. Okay, the first one we talked about was... Um, you should have no other gods before me. We said that that involved the right heart. The right That's heart. The yes, right heart. Uh, a heart that is devoted to one God, the God who is. Uh, and then, number two, um, don't make a graven image. Paraphrase. Right God. You can have all the zeal in the world for the wrong God. So don't worship the God of your imagination. Worship the one who is. And then we talked about right reverence or fidelity, uh, don't minimize his character, his words, and his actions through, um, through our uh, using his name in vain, displaying the vanity of us being in his name by the way that we act. Um, then there was right rest. Remember the Sabbath? Our gathering together on the first day of the week is a declaration of the rest we have in Christ, who is Lord of the Sabbath. And Philip, I don't know if you saw this, made a very interesting post um, about... The uh, joy of the global celebration of the resurrection, church-wide. That's a great thing. And yet, every Sunday for us is Resurrection Sunday because we come together to celebrate again his, um, his defeat of death and the grave. All right, in the second tablet, we go through the last six commandments, um, and they're laid down as a covenant response of the people of God to the rest he has provided. How are people to treat each other? We have first, honor your father and mother is a right response. 
from birth we are trained in the ideal setting to honor authority, to respect authority, um, and uh, to value and cherish the history and truth that's handed down to us through prior generations. Then we have do not murder. Uh, a right regard for his image. Human life is a gift from conception to the last breath, and it is valuable because humans bear the image of God. Then we have number seven, don't commit adultery. Right commitment to reflect his image. At the core, our sexuality reflects the Trinity, which is unity and plurality. God created us to reflect him. And then last week, we talked about, you shall not steal, the, the right response for his possessions, or right respect for his possessions. It's all his, was, was the theme last week. It's all his. Welcome. Um, the money in my neighbor's wallet is God's money. So if I'm stealing from my neighbor, I'm stealing from God, because it's all his. We are stewards. We're mere stewards of the possessions um, that we are given. So this week, Exodus 20, 16... I want to hear your guess what it might be. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Right law. Okay, right law. Go ahead. Guess what I'm thinking about at 2 o'clock this morning. Go ahead. Right words. words. Okay, go ahead. Who else? I want to vote. This will be good. (laughs) What? Right rhetoric. Right report. Right report. What did you say? Yeah, okay, well, whatever. Mine's the one written in stone. Okay. Here at the Ninth Commandment, we have uh, Hebrew words reflecting a judicial setting. The language is is that of a courtroom, a trial. And uh, as you'd expect, uh, perjury is condemned here. Big surprise? No. If it's in a judicial setting, we need honesty from the witnesses. Right? Yes? We see that in our courts today, honesty from the witnesses? Um, the law of Moses takes this commandment very seriously. How many witnesses are required in the law of Moses at a... At a uh, two. Two. Not just one, two. Because we, we take this very seriously. In capital punishment cases, what happened when someone was condemned to death for killing another through trial. The hand of the witness, the hand of the witnesses, shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you testify against someone in a capital murder situation or a capital crime, and that person is condemned to death. The persons who testified against that man or woman would be the first to throw the stones. You think you might take your testimony a little carefully? If you're on the front lines? Yes, sir. You see that, Dylan? I, I guess, did I ran through that? Because there was a story about how um, this dude killed somebody, and they're going to hang him. And so he was on the chair, had the noose, and it was the, the kid's mom who had to kick the chair out from under him. Really? Yeah. Wow. But he, she forgave him, I guess, took the noose off him, and I guess they let him go. So. I did not hear about that. Interesting. We should do that. That's what I was thinking. We should know, seriously. I think America's legal system should do that. Well, uh, there's some interesting thoughts there. I, I, 
I think uh, I think there it, we we do um, hide away capital punishment too much in a, in a dark room with just you know reports of what happened. But then there's also the other side of the the bloodlust thing that people get into. Like I think of the French Revolution. Um, and those kinds of things that go on. So there's a, there's a balance. There's a balance. But I had not heard that story. It's interesting. I, I, I would argue that it's borrowed. <laughs> that they borrowed it probably from, uh, from here. You're going to say, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, I was just thinking because like, all the executions were public. Mm -hmm. And the Old Testament, it was all about like showing the people the effects of the sin. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And yeah. There are arguments for it, and there are arguments against it. Um, and it's a, again, it's a Genesis 3 problem that we have. Um, we live in a fallen world, and so even public executions become a, um, an incitement, an environment, an invi yeah, an entertainment, exactly, an invitation to uh, participate in. Not justice, but in revenge, and that's a different matter entirely. The um, the Hebrew word here that's used that's used for uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The, the the Hebrew word there means to give an empty promise. To give an empty promise. There's the promise of truth. There's the promise of getting to the heart of the matter, but it comes up short because of the intentional misrepresentations of another. That's robbing justice, isn't it? That's a, that's a travesty. Um, and yet there's no reason here to believe that this is just limited to a legal setting. A question was asked. Let's see. Bear false witness against your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? How do we know that? It's not just the covenant community of Israel because of Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Um, what, what, what brings to mind when I say, who is my neighbor? What does that bring to mind? The Good Samaritan. And what do we learn from that story? What was the point Jesus was driving home? Everyone's your neighbor. Isn't it interesting he didn't just say, oh, by the way, the Hebrew victim is the neighbor. What he said was, who proved to be a neighbor to the victim? It was a Samaritan. He proved to be a neighbor to the victim by his actions. And that was in Luke 10. It's not just those in the covenant community, although it at least includes those, right? <laughs> we should start there, practice, <laughs> and move it out. What instances does this cover? What, what kind of situations do you think would, co would this command cover? Okay, give me examples. How do we violate this command? We'll just make it personal. How have we violated this command? Misrepresenting the scripture. Okay, misrepresenting the scripture. That's a big one. I'm misquoting it or sure. What Intentionally. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that it involves some intent. Why would we do that? What do you think? Why would we violate this? What's that? Make the story sound better for what purpose? More believable. More believable? For what purpose? To change what it meant. To change what it meant to get what 
to get what we want. What do we want in a situation like that? We want to be on the winning side. We want to make ourselves look better. What is what is at the core of that? Selfishness, Selfishness and pride. pride. Um, what's another way that we violate this command? Not telling the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. And and what what for what purpose? To make ourselves look better. To make ourselves look better. There's another reason too. I'm going to pick on them just because it's a stereotype. But say a used car guy. Uh, why would he potentially, if someone were to do such a thing, misrepresent the value of a used car? To make money. Um, Let's say uh, a newspaper guy is interviewing somebody and asks, gets the interview and then completely slams the person based on these half-truths and the, what's the purpose of that? (coughs) Political hack kind of pieces? What's the purpose of behind that? What's the ultimate <coughs> reason? Pushing to push their own agenda, to make an opponent politically look in a false to raise, light. To raise yourself so oh. by lowering them for pride. For pride, and then also, I would argue, malice. Right? Why, uh, why did the serpent, why did Satan lie in the garden? He was a murderer from the beginning, right? It's a malicious act, um, and to make him to elevate himself, to be you know, to, to to sit in the seat of God. Don't we do that anytime we lie? Every time we lie. Why does he say not bear false witness as opposed to lie? Why didn't you say do not lie? Good question. What do you think? Why would he use that language? Don't bear false witness. It's ju- it's judicial legal language. It could also be to judgment judgmental person. I'll use my children as an example. They were real good at telling on each other mm. because they wanted the other one to get in trouble. Right. Sure. So they tell the half truth. He hit me, but he didn't say that he had hit him first. Yeah. We have trials at my house. Yeah. I mean, we have, also, we have, your judgment will come on from the other. Yeah. Time. Right. We, we have cross examination at my house. <laughs> Why do I need to cross exam? Because I know there's either pride or malice going on here. <laughs> malice and pride. When we lie to get even. Or make someone look foolish, it's malice. When we lie to impress, move, or use someone and keep from keep them from seeing us in a bad light, it's pride. We lie to shield ourselves and further what we believe to be our best interests. Uh, Proverbs says this: there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Part of that, two of the things of the seven are a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies. You can see that in Proverbs 6, 16-9. A lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies. I don't know. What do you think? Is there a difference? 
false witness might imply more of an active um, trying to spread an untruth about someone, mm -hmm. whereas lying could just be at the spur of the moment of your question cover something else. I think separation points to these two things, doesn't it? A lying tongue may include pride. A false witness who breathes out lies, an intentional malicious act there. So maybe that's the distinction. Kevin, I see a difference too. Is a lying tongue could be 100% inward focused. Lying okay. to protect yourself. Sure. Whereas bearing false witness against your neighbor includes someone else and is lying to get somebody else in trouble. Yeah. So it deals other people versus... However we characterize the core of it, Lying is bearing Satan's image, not God's. Agreed? Um, so that brings up another question. Is there a right time to lie? No. Never? That's the one I'm thinking of. She's, she's committed in the faith chapter of Hebrews 11. And in James 2. And in James 2. And the only thing she did, she, it was based off of faith. She's not commended for lying. She's commended for her faith in both places. Okay. What about the Hebrew midwives? The Hebrew midwives. Very good point. Is lying sometimes okay, biblically? This is troubling to me because Rahab is praised in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. She, yeah, go ahead. Do you think it, that's why maybe it says, uh, you shall not bear false witness instead of you shall not lie because it's rooted in the heart? And like Tammy said, if, um, if you're protecting your neighbor rather than bearing false witness against your neighbor, then maybe it's okay to lie. Isn't that interesting? Do you think maybe that's why the wording is like that? I'm sorry, go ahead. I, we'll get to that in a minute. Yes, go ahead. Another point. In the lies that you both referenced, they were going against a government, a corrupt government. They were going against a corrupt government. <laughs> Always okay to lie against a corrupt government. <laughs> but the, I like two, that. That's the two situations, y'all. No, here, here's the deal. I think you have to be extremely careful when we, sure. start, when we start giving ourselves excuses for lying because lying is such an accepted practice in all Sure it is. America, we do it. It's accepted to lie in relationships, to lie at your job, to lie in your taxes, to lie. Yeah. It's accepted to, to I, I mean, it, 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 it's not looked at as a bad sin. Yeah. And, and so I, I think when we're looking at this and taking it seriously, that you need to look at these things we're talking about are very extreme situations. Yeah. When you have a government coming in trying to annihilate a people. Yeah. I think Corey Tin Boom in that situation. If, if, right. If, if this is the difference. And you're right. Rare instance. We don't make a practice of this. Not when your friend might get in trouble because they were sneaking out. Yeah. You don't, you yes. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. The, and I think you hit on the language, Hannah, is that it says, bear, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. It... it what if you're bearing false witness for your neighbor, for the good of your neighbor, like life and death, 
Rahab hiding the spies because if spies get caught, they die. Welcome to the Genesis 3 world. You get to pick the lesser of two weevils, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's what they're doing here. The midwives are picking the lesser of two evils here. That's what Rahab is doing, picking the lesser of two evils. That's what Cory ten Boom and all of those who hid uh, Jews in Nazi Germany, it's still lying. It's still not being honest with a situation. But we're called to discern here in these situations, not because your buddy you know, missed curfew. Um, well, y'all don't even have curfew. Anyway, um, not, not because of some frivolous thing. This is life and death here. It's, it's a rare instance, but you see that even in this, that they're committed because of why. It's the heart. Again, it drills down to the heart. Why are they doing it? Is it to make myself look better? Is it to be malicious to somebody else? No, it's to protect human life that, that God has um, created. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. To protect the lives yeah. of others. Yeah. That's a huge Yeah. So only lie. Here's the rule. Only lie. We're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna make a new Jewish Talmud here. Um, only lie if it uh, is for the good of your neighbor's life and at great risk to your own. Should you be discovered. Or just move to another country. I don't know. Alright, so it's still right to be convicted of lying in that situation and, and, and the need for repentance. Because it's still sin. It's, we talked about last week, too, this, the thieving thing, the, the do not steal. Dealing with, um, should I buy from a, a certain uh, well-known large department store with really ungodly low prices on all their stuff, knowing that I'm buying those things because on the backs of someone who makes pennies an hour. Is that stealing? And yet, if I don't buy it, they don't even get the pennies an hour. Is that stealing? It's, it's, it's a crazy thing that we live in. And it, it calls us to use wisdom and discernment in how we, how we do very basic decision-making things. Because everything has consequences. There may be rare instances where we have to choose between a lesser evil, but it's still sin. Why is it still sin? Why would that be still sin? I mean, because we're in the image of God, and God cannot lie. And God cannot lie. Go ahead. Technically, there aren't just two options. If some, like for Rahab, she could have told the truth, she could have lied. Or there's when you when you lie, even if it's choosing the lesser of two evils, you'll, you're still kind of taking the range of God and saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at some point you are in your pride taking over and saying that God, th- that I'm justified in my wrongness, and and you're 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 trying to take over mm-hmm. uh, power from God when you try so bad to manipulate a situation that it goes the way you think it should. Okay, so there's the hard right line of I'm not God, He is, and I'm going to tell the truth no matter what. 
there is the decision making that goes on with, in Rahab's case, in the midwife's case, of maybe this is God's means by which to protect these people is by me bearing the weight of this sin. Right? I, it's, it's Genesis 3. Um, nevertheless, it's still sin. Why? What is it about the Ten Commandments that we've learned? What are they rooted in? The character of God. It's his character that says, don't bear false witness. The Ten Commandments can also be translated the Ten Words or the Ten Testimonies. They are a testimony to who he He's not conflicted with Genesis 3. <laughs> his testimony of himself is good, right, and true. Um, all of the commandments are rooted in the character of God. They testify of him, and he is a faithful Witnesses. Do you remember that passage in Hebrews 6? Not the one that freaks everybody out. The one later on that says, when God swore to Abraham about the promises, how did he swear? What, what, does, a, what does a man normally do when he's he really, he, he's going to... He swore by two things. One by himself. Okay. And I'm trying to think the other one. He swore by God because he cannot lie. Right. And, and by his word. By his word. His character is trustworthy. And his word will not be... It's not an empty promise. It's not an insincere promise. What's the reference Hebrews 6, uh, 16. The author discusses a, a bit of a catch-22 in that, in that passage when um, God swears to be faithful to his covenant to, to Abraham. And... Um, men, generally, if we're going to swear by something to really make ourselves, you know, we're really telling the truth, uh, we, we swear by something greater than ourselves. Jesus says, don't swear by heaven above. It's not your throne to swear by. Or by the earth below or the hell below or the waters below. Or I forget exactly how that works. We swear by things that are greater than ourselves. What can God swear to? There's nothing greater than him. So he swears by himself and by his own word. God himself is the first witness, and his word is the second witness, authenticating his promise. Jesus is also called a witness, the faithful witness in Revelation 1.5. Um, John 8.18 8, says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There you have two witnesses, by the way. Um, the witness of Jesus to his own mission from the Father is, how does he validate it? How is, how is his witness validated? By the testimony of himself, by the testimony of God, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what else? What else did Jesus do to show that he was telling the truth? He did miracles. One in particular, he raised himself from the dead. Happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. <laughs> And what does that do? That displays that he's true. That what he said was true testimony of what he came to do. It not only validates the truth of, um, of what he said, but it validates his mission to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. Consider the ironies in 
the crucifixion uh, or the whole trial. It is an irony of providence that he who is the way, the truth, and the life would stand before a Roman governor who asked him, what is truth? I just find that incredibly ironic, providentially ironic. It is further irony of providence that the means by which his claims would be validated, the whole thing, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, would be precipitated by the false testimony of witnesses. The Spirit is also a witness to the faithfulness of God's promise and the finished work of Christ. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Romans 8, 16, which you might breeze through this next Tuesday. How does, how does the Spirit give witness to us? What does that look like? What is that, that's nice, lofty sounding language. What does that mean? How does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Through the word. Through the word. It enlightens the word to our hearts so that we can understand it. Okay, so we understand it. Even through conviction. Conviction? The fact that we are convicted of sin actually should encourage us that we really are sons and daughters. If I feel the weight of my lying, that should make me feel better that I'm his because I know the standard and I feel the standard, the weight of the standard on me. Well, I'm not going to lie all the more. But don't even pagans feel convicted? Ah, interesting. I think uh, whether it's right or wrong, not necessarily that, but the fact that, man, this is what I'm doing is bad. Mm-hmm. Why would they feel bad because they get caught? I think there is that idea yeah, that the law of God that is written on the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Through, through uh, somebody said moralism. You feel the weight of um, the standard that is written on the heart. Um, I think it's partially uh, due to discipline, too. Like, while everyone can feel the weight of sin, um, part of being in Christ is recognizing not only do I feel the weight of my sin, but I also see more disciplining me in that. Uh, David was fine rocking along after his lying and murderous bout with Uriah the Hittite, um, concealing his sin with Bathsheba, rocking along just fine until he was confronted by Nathan the prophet and felt the discipline of the Lord on him through the death of the child. So in that case, he was just feeling bad because of God. Initially, yes. But out of that, we see the difference between godly grief and worldly grief, don't we? We see Psalm 51, which is Godward. Against you and you only have I sinned. We see the result of that. And I think that's, that's the key, is how um, you, you say even pagans will, will um, feel that guilt. How they respond, what they do, it's a Godward response, realizing that the testimonies are true, that the soul that sins must die, you feel that, and it is your response to, I have offended, not just broken a rule from an ancient book, I've offended a holy God, and this is what he looks like. How else do we, how else does the Spirit give witness to us that we are the sons of God? Just the fact that 
We desire to walk by the Spirit, and we bear the fruit of the Spirit's work in us. What does the fruit look like? Love, joy, peace. Galatians. It looks like apples. No, it's not apples. <clears throat> it's, not, it's not a fig either. Okay, moving along. Pomegranate, you're killing me. That we are the sons of God? It's Romans 8.16. Romans 8.16. Um, how about this? By the truthfulness of our witness to the worth of Christ. The Spirit works in us. We bear fruit that shows we trust Jesus more than our, our own pride, our own malice, our own desire for other things, person, place, or thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think there's also an aspect of abiding here because um, the Spirit changes us and when His Word comes into us, it comes in with power and it remains, it abides, and it abides increasingly. Yeah. So our, our love for God and for the brothers increases and our knowledge increases and everything increases positively over time. It's not just an emotional, and then... Right, it's faithfulness when there is no emotion. Or when the emotions are not so whee, right? It's the anti-whee emotions. And yet you're still faithful to reflect the character of God all the while praying, Lord, incline my heart to love your law. Right, the Holy right. Spirit doesn't come and go. Yeah. He comes and stays. And he's stays. seal guaranteeing our inheritance to And he's a faithful witness to that. So we have the testimony of four, three, four, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the Word, I guess. I don't want to, it's not a quadrinity, but it's, it's God's objective truth to us is His Word, how He moves in us. Um, the truthfulness of our witness to the worth of Christ, and this is not just an individual affair, is it? It's a corporate thing. The church as a whole is a truthful witness to the worth of Christ. Or should be. Uh, after walking through the pattern of humanity's existence in Ephesians 2, that, that gives false witness to the image of God. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that now rules over the sons of disobedience among whom you once lived as children of wrath, right? He goes to, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But he goes through this whole litany of things. And he says these two great words, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what does it say in verse 7? So you can kick back and let go, let God. No. So that the church so that the wisdom, so that the grace of God and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus might be on display to the whole cosmos. That's the church. That's what we participate in individually. That's what we participate in collectively, corporately, as one body. We, as the body of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, are a faithful witness reflecting the faithful 
truthfulness of God himself, how we portray Jesus. Is it like those who give um, <coughs> praise with their lips and yet hate him in the heart, like Judas' kiss in the garden? Or is it those who are broken and repentant, like Peter, who denied him with a curse and yet was restored? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Love the brothers. Love me. Are we faithful witnesses who are broken and repentant to him? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The corporate witness of the church to the beauty and worth of Christ, the riches of God's grace and kindness to us in Christ, and the power of the Spirit transforming sinners into a holy people spans the globe and spans the ages from Adam to eternity. The church is his witness. I pray that we are faithful in our time on this earth and do not prove to be just an empty promise. Let's be faithful witnesses and obey the ninth commandment. Yeah. I was just also thinking of the verses where it calls us to be salt. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I think it was Rain Randall that preached a sermon on, on the preserving power of salt. It's not just to make things taste good, but in past history, it was how you preserved things from rotting. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, by being people who tell the truth and who can be trusted to keep their word when they say they will do something, mm-hmm. there is a preserving in our culture. Mm-hmm. If we as Christians, we as the church do that, if, if that is something we're characterized by, oh, no, I, you know, I, I can trust them. Mm-hmm. Um because they, they always keep their word. If they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. Right. Um, that, should be, that should be what is said of us. Yeah. We shouldn't be fickle. Yeah. Even in giving our word. You can justify a lot with, with the promises that we make and not keeping them. I have a practice with my kids. You didn't even make promises. <laughs> I don't make them. Daddy, uh, can we watch this movie when we get home? Maybe. We'll see. Daddy, you promised. No, I didn't. <laughs> I never said we would. It depends upon the situation whether or not you will get to eat ice cream. You promised. No, I did not. Read the record. <laughs> All right. Any other comments? I think it's unrealistic to think that you're never going to lie. Mm. Everything informs the other, doesn't it? Like we said last week, this is an onion. And it keeps drilling down to the heart of who he is and what he's done for us in Christ and where and, 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 the, and the transformation that's going on in there. And and is it? <laughs> is it? Um, uh, well, we're kind of short on time, but I was struck last night when I was going over this again our capacity for self-deception. It's an amazing thing. When you come to the Word, the exposure 
of, ooh, I thought this about myself. That's probably not the best way to think about that. <laughs> and even that is giving myself some credit. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? Um, thanks be to God through Christ. And Paul saw it. That Man, I tell you, I, I go to that chapter so often, thanking God for Paul <laughs> and what he wrote in that chapter. Um, all right, any others? Any others? It's warm in here? No? Yes? Okay, I'll pray. We'll open the door. Father, thank you for your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword, that, that pierces deep in us. And as we go through these commandments, these testimonies of who you are, we're cut to the quick again and again and again and deeper and deeper and deeper. I pray that it doesn't cause us to despair, but to hope in the only person we can hope in, and that's Christ and his finished work. I pray, Father, that your spirit would impress upon us again that we work from a position in Christ of acceptance before you. But we work because you are working in us. And we work to be people of truth. Truth in the culture, as it was mentioned, salt preserving the culture. Truth um, in dealing with our own hearts and beating down our capacity for self-deception. But none of this is available to us in our own effort. That itself is a deception. We need you, and we need the power of your spirit working in us through your word. I pray that we are drawn again and again to your word, and we love you more and are convicted to be like you more and more. Thank you for your grace in Christ. It's his name. In his name we pray, amen.